All right, how you guys doing on this cold and snowy morning? Is there anybody here who's done with snow? You guys want more? Okay, well, you're welcome to just walk outside right now. You have all the more that you want. Hey, glad you guys are here. Um, I got to tell you, I woke up this morning and looked out and saw that there was no snow on the ground yet at that point. And I thought, what a wonderful day because God's got a, a message that he has given me that I think is so important for us um, that I was so excited to, to preach it. And how many of you know that as the snow starts to fall and you're like, uh, whether you got a birthday party or a picnic or something planned outside, you're always like, oh, man. That was immediately what went through my thought. But here's what I know is that God will bring you here if there's something here that you need to to hear. Um, it's no coincidence. If you're a visitor, even if you're a regular and you're like, oh, it's been a while since I've come, there's a reason that you made it here today. Nobody just goes, well, it's just, I got nothing else to do, so I'm going to get dressed, get out of the house, and come here. Nobody does that. So I want to thank you for just being obedient to, to God's prompting to get you here. And again, I hope that your hearts and, and minds are just open to hear what he's got for you. Um, so last weekend, we kicked off our new series, if you will, um, just leading up to Easter. And it, what it is, Prophecies and Promises, and it's about Old Testament Scripture, specifically that relates to or announces a coming Messiah. And I think it's so important that we understand that. Without an understanding of how the Old Testament ties into the New and how it all really is just one thing. I think I said last weekend, I'd rather that there wasn't, this is the Old Testament, this is the New Testament, that it's just the Testament of God. And I think that when we separate it, we, we fail to see the connections and we don't really then understand the fullness. So we're now, the significance of this, the timing of it, is that we're entering into what a lot of people just call generally the holy season, right? In fact, it is three days till Ash Wednesday, listen to it, three days to Ash Wednesday, two weeks until Purim. 40 days until Palm Sunday, 43 until Passover, 45 until Good Friday, and 47 until Easter. Uh, don't, if I'm off by a day, okay, give me, some, give me some grace. I tried to count, but it was, it was late. But does anybody know the significance of those holidays, if you will, call them holidays? Anybody know the significance? Not what they are, but why they're significant. Because you might want to say, like, hey, some of those are just... Jewish holidays, right? Some of those, and some of them are. But why are they significant? In other words, what do they really mean? I think it's important that we realize that all of those celebrations, even when you look at one like Purim, which is pretty much purely a Jewish holiday. We'll talk about the story as we get a little bit closer to that day. But you think it's a Jewish holiday. Here's the key to all of these. They all celebrate Jesus. Every single one of them. Every single book, in fact, in the entirety of the Bible is about Jesus. He is the central character in the entirety of Scripture. And if we don't understand that, then we start seeing him as a character that came along at a certain point. He was a good character, but we fail to see the connection with God's redemptive plan. And here's the thing. God has always had a redemptive plan. From the very beginning, he knew 
that we were going to struggle with the choices that were put in front of us. He put us here with free will, free to make our own decisions. And as soon as you give somebody to make their own decision, chances are, as often as as not, they're going to make a bad decision. And God knew that. It wasn't a surprise to him. Nothing that ever happened going all the way back to the Garden of Eden where, where Eve took that apple and was tempted by the snake. He didn't shift into plan B mode at that time. Oh, my gosh, what do I do now? Oh, I know. I have an idea. It was never like that. That's why it's so important that we study the entirety of Scripture and we understand that God's plan runs all the way through. Jesus Christ has always been a part of the plan. In fact, he has always been the plan. So when we talk about the gospel, the gospel literally just means good news. And we think the good news is the resurrection of Jesus. And we tend to think, okay, well, that starts on Easter. So when we're starting to focus on the good news of Christ, the gospel of Christ, especially as we get into this spring season, we start focusing on Easter. But it started way before that. In fact, it goes throughout every day of our lives. At least it should. It's so much more than just a triumph over the grave. Jesus Christ is the point of the entire Bible and his, his story, God's plan of redemption, is amplified through the entirety of human experience. Everything that we have ever gone through from the beginning of time, everything we're going through today, everything we'll go through tomorrow, points towards Jesus. His redemptive work and his, our need, our desperation for him and what he has done for this. Now, if you don't believe that, if you see Jesus as just a character in the New Testament, the power of the gospel is going to have very, very little authority in your life. In fact, we find people that see Jesus as just a character. He's, he's a good man. They may even believe he really existed in the flesh. He's a good man. He was a good teacher. But I don't know about all the rest of that stuff, the resurrection and all these things. If you don't believe in that with all your heart, then the redemptive power of the gospel is going to be minimized to the point to where it's going to be so easy to then rely on our own wisdom, to rely on our own provision, what I can do. And along with that comes stress. Along with that comes, well, if nobody's figured this out for me, I need to figure it out myself. And who here has life figured out? Nobody has life figured out. That's why we need Jesus. So let's look at, as we get in, <coughs> excuse me, we are going to move forward into the next of all these, these uh, holidays that I mentioned, the very next one. Anybody know what the next one that's coming up is? It's Ash Wednesday. If you were listening earlier, I gave you the answer. So, so very good for those three of you who... Who said that? No, Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is it. Now, we don't typically, as, as this church, and when we were Jubilee Fellowship before, we didn't really spend much time talking about Ash Wednesday or about the Lent season or anything like that. In fact, a lot of people see those as, well, isn't that a Catholic thing? I remember growing up, I had some friends who were Catholic, and I remember every now and then I'd see them with this thing on their forehead, and like, what is happening I had no idea, and frankly, they had very little idea what was exactly going on. We show up at church on Wednesday, and they do this thing, and then 
That's all I know. And that's too bad because it really is significant. And that's why we're going to talk about it here. Um, So much more than a Catholic holiday. It celebrates Ash Wednesday, kicks off the, the season of Lent. Okay, and Lent is 40 days minus Sundays. You don't count Sundays, but it's 40 days before Easter. And really, to be, to be exactly accurate about it, the season kicks off on Tuesday, which is Shrove Tuesday. Anybody heard of Shrove Tuesday? Anybody know what you do on Shrove Tuesday? You eat. You, you think all of, our, all of our holidays are about eating. Shrove Tuesday is all about eating because you're preparing yourself for a 40-day fast. So you better eat. Yeah, I heard someone what? say what? You lost me. You lost me. Okay, I'll back up. More than just a fast, it is a season of preparing your heart. It's a season of preparation to be able to truly receive a coming Messiah in Jesus. If we don't have our hearts in a place of repentance, in a place of receiving the gift that God gave us, then Easter is just going to be a holiday. It's just going to be about eggs and chocolate bunnies. We don't want to minimize it to that point, okay? It's so much more important than that. We need to see it as a time of preparing our hearts to truly receive this gift in Jesus that we've been given. So Lent, again, time of the spiritual preparation. It's actually the word Lent, it wasn't invented until way, way later. It's an old English word that just means spring or new beginning, okay? So that's why it kind of comes around now. It symbolizes the 40 days, a couple different things, the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness before he began his ministry. It also echoes the 40 years that the Israelites wandered the desert. So it has elements of all these. It's a time of preparation for what lies ahead. With Jesus, it was 40 days in preparation for his ministry to begin With the Israelites wandering the desert, it was a time of preparation for them to receive the promised land, this promise that they had. They had been delivered from slavery, and there was a promise ahead of them, but they had to go through some things to prepare themselves to receive that promise. If you receive a blessing with a heart that is not prepared to receive it, it's not a blessing at all. How many people have seen stories of people who have won the lottery? They probably prayed all the time or hoped or wished or dreamed or whatever it was about winning the lottery. They win the lottery, and then what happens to them? Within a year, vast majority of them, lives are either at best back to where they started or at worst, they're ruined because they weren't prepared to receive that blessing. It's important that we are prepared for what lies ahead. For us. Now, what lies ahead for Jesus, it was the beginning of his ministry. What lies ahead for us? What lies ahead for us? What are we preparing our hearts for? Well, with Jesus, again, it was his ministry. With you, it's your ministry. It's no different. So you say, okay, well, I'm a I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm an accountant, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not a minister. Yes, you are. Check this out. 1 Peter 2.9, our first scripture for the day. This is Peter 
talking to Gentiles. He's not talking to Hebrews. He's not talking to a room full of fellow pastors. He's talking to Gentiles specifically. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who's the you he's talking about? You. In the, in the, in the Greek, you translate that, it means so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are chosen to proclaim who Jesus is. You've been chosen through word and through deed. You are chosen. And that's why we need to prepare our hearts. We need to be intentional about preparing our hearts. In this case, we're talking about a season, one season a year, it should be an everyday thing. But specifically, we're talking about this one time. So, are you ready to step in to your purpose? Are you ready to begin your ministry? Okay. I love that answer because so many people are hampered by fear, by feelings of unworthiness. Who am I? To share the gospel of Jesus. I don't even understand it myself. Who am I to share Jesus with somebody else? I don't even really understand what happened. I, I don't remember the last time I read my Bible. I am so flawed. I am so broken. I sinned on the way here three times in my case. No, twice only. Let's take a look at Jesus as our example. Jesus is our example for everything. You ever wonder why Jesus came to earth in the flesh? It's so that he could live a human life, being tempted by the things we're tempted by, being, being punished, feeling the pains, feeling the emotions, feeling the things that we go through so that we can say, well, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus respond when confronted with this thing that I'm going through now? Let's look at this. Let's go back to Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Actually, slightly before that. This is Luke 3, uh, 21, 22. I think we have, yeah. Now, when all the people were baptized, okay, this is at the river with John the Baptist. He's baptizing all these people who are coming to him. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, picture the scene, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Imagine being there, seeing that happen. Imagine being Jesus and having that happen. What do you think his next step was? What did he do next? A victory tour, world tour. Did you guys see what just happened? I'll sign autographs in the back. Yes, that was me. Did he have a parade? Did he have? No. Here's what happened. This is, by any stretch of the imagination, that is an incredible victory, an incredible blessing that happened to him. The heavens opened. You hear the very voice of your father saying, I love you and I'm so pleased with you. He would have had every reason to say, let's do this. 
like Rocky before he goes into the ring, right? Like, you're ready, you're mean, you're lean. Go do ministry, right? This is what you think happened. Here's what really happened. Here's what happened immediately after. This is from Matthew, Matthew 4, 1 to 11. I'll just read this one to you. Then Jesus was led, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Hmm. Amen. After this, after that, Jesus returns to the Galilee region and immediately starts preaching. The real, the beginning of his ministry, if you will. It's important to note that because Jesus in the flesh was faced with these temptations, these lies from the enemy, and the lies from the enemy are clever. The enemy's quoting scripture to Jesus. But Jesus knows the meaning behind that, not just the words. And he's able to withstand. But the enemy comes after him right after this, right after this victory, right after this great thing that happened to him. The enemy comes in and tempts him while he's hungry, while he's thirsty, while he's alone. This is when the enemy comes in. Wandering a desert. We all from time to time wander these metaphorical deserts in our lives. But have you ever noticed... And it just seems to happen. I hear people say this all the time. Just, just when I have a win, just when something good happens to me, the enemy comes in and crushes it. Just when I have a victory, something bad happens. I got a promotion at work and got in a car accident on the way home. I had a good day preaching at the church, and on the way home, I got a text from somebody where something bad happened. It's no accident that these things happen right after a blessing. We can have these great blessings, and then we can be tempted. And when we're tempted, we are faced with an opportunity then to either follow Jesus' example and rebuke the lies of the enemy, or we can easily just fall into that. I want to take a second and see just if anybody has something that they would like to share. Do you have the mic, Gabe? If anybody has just a short testimony that they'd maybe like to share about, let's go specifically, having an opportunity to do either the right thing or the wrong thing, and how maybe God helped guide you through that. Does anybody have anything that they'd like to, to share? And if not, that's fine, but Jordy? Um, 
the last six months of my life have been probably some of the worst that I've gone through. Um, things have happened. And when it started going that way, I was very tempted to just respond in a negative way and jump into what the world would say, this is how you should respond. Um, God really came around me during that time and said, no, there's a better way to handle it. And the last six months, I've grown closer to God um, than I could ever have imagined. Um, big, big thing about it was just getting around the right people. Um, you know, started attending the men's group here and just surrounding myself with people who were able to build me up, pray with me, and minister directly to me in that spot that I was in. And had it not been for that decision, I would be in a much different spot. May not even be here right now, um, but I'm just glad that God was there and was able to surround me with the people that I needed to be in or be around. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. We have the men's group that, that Jordy's talking about is, is our Fight Club men's group that meets on Thursdays, and they are an amazing bunch of guys. Gentlemen, if you, are, if you ever feel isolated and alone, that is a place just to drop in. Just drop in. Anybody else? Ayla. Should I stand? Um, I don't know if this is very monumental, but sometimes I feel like God's miracles are in the tiny things too. So mm -hmm. I just felt like I should say this. So um, I have been, you know, renewing my faith after some deep losses and. I um, joined a Bible reading challenge this year with some of my, um, I guess, fellow women in my family. And it's going through chronologically, so we're reading the Old Testament right now. And um, I've never read a Bible fully through. I've been to church and read what was up on the screen and maybe picked up and read some Psalms, and that was it. And I can't tell you what 12 minutes a day in your Bible every day does for your life. And I, it's just, it's life-changing. And immediately you see these lies in the enemy. I mean, I was on day four and was already getting hit by, he knows, he knows you're reading it and he yeah. doesn't like it. And it was the first time I was really able to see sort of that enemy, I guess, force and feel that energy and, you know, know the word of God coming right back at it. And it's, it's incredible. So if I could encourage anybody to do anything for your faith, just read a little bit every day and yeah. I can't tell you just the armor of God that it puts on you, and um, I feel like it's just been the perfect time in my life to do it as, as I kind of hit some extra battles and fights. So, yeah, you hear those lies, and I hear God just whisper the answer right back, you know? So nice. it really has just made an incredible difference in, in my life for sure. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Good job. All right, if... If you think of something, if God puts something on your heart, throw your hand up. We'll, we'll make time. We'll make time. It's no accident that just like, like Kayla reading, reading the word, knowing the word, and as soon as that happens, the lies start to come in, the attacks start to come in, using Scripture in some cases against us. When we see Jesus in the desert and he's being tempted by Satan, most of the scriptures that Satan's quoting back to him come from Deuteronomy. They're all Old Testament, of course, but they, they come through Deuteronomy, from Deuteronomy. 
and they echo what Moses had said to the Israelites as they were in the desert. So let's talk about some of that. Let's look at this. Now, think about, let's go back to where you're an Israelite. You're wandering the deserts 40 years. You have seen, you've been delivered from slavery. You have been saved time and time again. You've seen some incredible, amazing things, and you know that the promised land is coming. You know the promises are there, that soon we will be there and we'll have this place, we'll have our home, we'll stop wandering. But then they start being tempted immediately. As soon as they start getting tired, they start getting hungry. They start getting a little frustrated, like, uh, I got some plans. When are we going to get there? They need to be reminded because they're being tempted and they know that they're about, or Moses specifically knows you're about to be tempted even more. In fact, the closer we get to our prize, the more you're going to be tempted. So we have this scripture from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I'll just read it to you. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So Moses has to remind him that. Now, he reminds him of that, and then he goes and he, and he lays out some more law. So he's, he's basically admonishing them. He says, hey, as soon as you reach the prize, temptation is going to follow. In other words, he's warning them that, hey, we're about to get to our promised land. And when you get there, you think you've been tempted along the way now, you just wait. Wait until we get there and see what happens. And here's what happens. Deuteronomy 18, 9, we have this one. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. He's telling them, when you get there, they're going to be doing some things, and it's going to be tempting to jump right in. Listen to some of the things that the Canaanites were doing in this land that they were about to enter. They were burning their own children in religious rites, okay, They were practicing what's called divination, so like reading stones and leaves and sticks and things like that to to hear from their gods. Witchcraft and spell casting of all sort of different kinds. Calling upon the dead to speak for guidance. And the, the list really goes on and on and on. And the temptation there would be for the Israelites to get to this place and start listening to these teachers, listening to these witches, these people doing divination, these sorts of things, listening to them for guidance and forsaking the guidance that they've always had from the Lord. The temptation is real for that. So Moses hints right in the middle of all this stuff, and he'll go back into more law later. He pauses right in the middle and gives us this word. This is Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. It's a little long, so bear with me. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, 
I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Is that it? That is it. Why does mine look longer? Giant type. Sorry. Yeah, let's look at this a little bit closer. Here we have, leave that up there for just a second. The Lord said to me, this is, this is Moses, the me is Moses. And the Lord is speaking to him. And it's important to understand as you look at this, Moses, would, him, Moses himself would have had no context for what this meant or why there was a need for it. Would, have even, would he have even needed it? The people would like, well, we have you, Moses, right? Because he, was still, he still hadn't been told that he wasn't even going to enter the promised land. So like, well, we have you. Why do we need someone else? And they would like, yeah, yeah, okay, there's going to be somebody else. But Moses is our guy. He led us out. That's what they would have been looking at. They would have had no context. It wasn't written This wasn't spoken for the Hebrews. It wasn't spoken for Moses. It was spoken and recorded for you so that you could see this. This is the amazing thing that speaks to me when I read the word of God is you read these things and you go, this would have meant nothing to them. In fact, it would have just been confusing, if anything. Why is it there? Why did God speak that to somebody thousands of years ago? He did it for you so that you could see that he has always been there and he has always had a plan. And no matter how things look around you, there is a plan and he has always had one. We read the Old Testament. We read scripture to see God's plan unfolding. And by knowing that he's always had a plan, always will, then we can have comfort in our todays. So this is where we are. So when he says a prophet like me, think about this. The, the comparisons between Moses and Jesus. A prophet like me. So Moses was spared death as a baby. Remember they put him in the, in the little basket and sent him out. He was spared death and so was Jesus. Matthew 2, we see the angel warning Joseph to take this baby Jesus and flee to Egypt of all places to save him from death. Deuteronomy 9 Moses intercedes for Israel with a 40-day fast. And then we see in Hebrews and Matthew where Jesus does the same thing, intercedes for his people and fasts for 40 days. God spoke to both of them in person. We see all these similarities, so that's where a prophet like me comes from. Let's look at one more tie-in, though. We're talking about how the Old Testament all is is a foreshadowing and points towards Jesus Let's look at another one that we don't talk about an awful lot. Let's talk about the prophet Elijah. Let's go there. 1 Kings 19, 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him, touched Elijah, and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in, went in the strength of the food, of that food, for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb's got another name, Sinai. So we see this happening. Where else? So we have Moses in, on one hand. Moses and Elijah, probably the two greatest Old Testament prophets in terms of, of what they did and what they accomplished. Where else do we see Moses and Elijah 
team up? Anybody know? Like even more, yes. I hear some correct answers. Let's talk about this. Revelation 11.3. Think about Revelation 11.3. Scripture says, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Remember the 1,260 days? Who remembers the math on that? Three and a half years. Half of the tribulation period. The two witnesses... Now, if you missed my message, you can go back and listen to our Revelation series, chapter 11, where we talk about these two witnesses. I believe, Scripture doesn't say this explicitly, I believe these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. But again, this happens right before Jesus then returns in triumph. So we see the two of them together. This is important to understand. And I'll tie it in here even more. So Deuteronomy, the the Scripture, anyway, was, was given or written in about 1400 B.C., okay, so about 3,500 years ago. But 1,500 years after Moses, after this was recorded, after he received it, Moses and Elijah together appear on a mountain along with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Anybody remember that one? It's called the Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 1 through 5, describes what this looks like. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it Good, it is good for us to be up here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Where else did we hear, listen to him? Okay, we saw that back when it was being spoken to Moses. Listen to him. I'll raise a prophet up like you. Listen to him. Okay? We see this, and so with that, we see God giving his stamp and saying, this is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that was given to Moses all that time. Deuteronomy 18.15, if you want to go back and look at that. Moses here in this instance represents the law. Elijah being there represents the prophets. And then, of course, Jesus being there is the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets, as he himself even said. But the wisdom, the law, and the wisdom of all the prophets together cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only that. And, in fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, remember, he said, the law alone brings death. And in another time, Paul again, writing to the Galatians 3.24, says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And so it's through that faith in Jesus that we are equipped to then go out into the world and accomplish our purpose, what we have. We have been chosen to be God's messengers to the world to be his representatives in the world. And through the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we're going to need. And so again, by word, 
by action, by word and deed, we carry on that work of Jesus. But just as happened all that time ago, the enemy's going to come in, and he's going to try and tempt you, and he's going to try and distract you, much like that. (laughs) But if you can't turn away from that temptation, if you can't see temptation for what it is and turn away from it, and accomplish what Jesus has called you to do, there are a couple reasons that that might be. One is that you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, that's easy to fix. But the other thing is, maybe it's because you have not accepted in your heart the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. You say, if you're a Christian, how can you not have accepted that? We all know that that's what Jesus did on the cross. But many of us know that that's what he did, and we refuse to accept it because we somehow place our sin and our brokenness higher than everyone else's. In a weird way, it's a form of pride. I am too broken. I am too bad. I have been too bad for too long for Jesus' work to cover me. And so we don't accept it. And so then we find ourselves at this sticking place to where we can't fulfill the ministry that we're called to do because we think, I'm still too broken. We need to understand that. And both of those things, by the way, both of those situations are fixable right here and right now. Right here and right now. So we're going to pray here in just a minute when we close up that Jesus would show you, that the Holy Spirit himself would speak directly to you and show you places where you have elevated either your own pride or something else above him. You have allowed something to distract you. We call them idols. But you have allowed yourself to become distracted by that, whether it's your own feeling of brokenness or by something worldly. It's a distraction. And we need to decide that we are going to prepare our hearts to truly receive what Christ did for us. And so as we go into this Ash Wednesday and this Lent season, that's what it's about. And so that's what we're going to do together. So here I have a way that we're going to do this, and it's a very simple thing. We're not going to do ashes, and we're not going to do that sort of thing. This is more personal. At the back of the church, um, I am made up these, so forgive me if they're not perfect, but I made up these sheets, a Lent devotional sheet. The front side of it kind of explains what it is and what we're doing. On the back side, though, this is the important thing. On the back side are some scriptures, okay? 40 days worth, minus Sundays, 40 days worth of scriptures that we're going to pray together as a church. Now, I don't mean we're going to gather together every day for 40 days, Here's what I want you to do, though. And there's, there's enough for one per family, um, and I can make more if I need to. But they're in the back there by the little table. Weston's got them back there. Grab one. Just put it up on your mirror, on your fridge, or however you want to do. And each day, know that the rest of us here in the church, we are praying that same scripture. Read that scripture in whatever translation you like, and we'll pray about it. We'll meditate on it, and we'll let God show us how to prepare our hearts then as we go through. Okay, we're going to do that together. So again, you can grab a sheet in the back. There's plenty of them. I can make more if we run out. 
Know this, though. It's not about giving up something. My memory, other than the ashes on the forehead, my memories of my Catholic friends celebrating or observing Lent was I have to give up something. It was usually something that they had no intention of doing anyway. I, I, I give up liver and onions. I will forsake that every day for 40 days. It was always something like that. The thing is, though, it's not about what you're giving up. It's about preparing your heart to really receive. To really receive. That's what it's about. So, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. We're going to have communion right now. Now, if you're new here or haven't been, the way that we do communion here at the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. You can just dip the cracker or the bread in the juice and serve yourself there. Or up front here, we'll be serving up here, and we've got wine up there. We would be happy to serve you if you just line up. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to celebrate this with us. You don't have to be a member of the church or anything like that. We would love to have you celebrate. As we do it, though, here's a scripture that I would like you to meditate on and just think about as we take communion together. The worship team is going to play on in a minute, and we'll release you to start moving around and, and do communion. It's Hebrews 8. And it's from 8 to 10. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not abide by my covenant, and I disregarded them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and ascribe them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just, first of all, thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son Jesus for us. And Lord, we repent of anything that we have placed in the way of our receiving the sacrifice of Jesus truly into our hearts. We accept what he has done. We accept that his blood covers us and makes us whole and renewed in your eyes, renewed and blameless, and yes, holy and set apart for the purposes that you have for us. Father God, we repent of not believing your word that says that. So Lord, as we enter into this season, I just pray that every single day you would illuminate in our hearts a way that we can respond to what you have already done for us, a way that we can truly receive what you have done for us and walk in the fullness of the blessing that you have always intended for us. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not accepted Jesus and who does not know them in their heart, Lord, I want to give them an opportunity right now. Reach in and touch their heart, much like you did me years ago. I prayed that you would make yourself real, and Lord, you manifested in my life in such a way that I could not ignore it. So I pray that now, if there's anybody here who does not know you and would wish to receive you right now, I pray that you answer their call. Flood into their open heart and show yourself to them greater than ever. Show them your love. First and foremost, not your law, not scripture. Show them your love, because we know that's what's important to you. Let us be instruments of sharing your love with them to help accomplish your work in the kingdom. So, Father God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you made that decision for the first time today, in the back we have some books that you can grab. It'll just help you. But our prayer team stationed along the back would be happy to pray with you and just help you to understand what's going on. If you need help praying another prayer of repentance, there in the back would be happy to do that with you. Be sure and grab one of those devotional sheets on the way out. And let's do this as a church as we prepare our hearts for our Savior. Amen? Thank you, church. How I live for the moment When I'm still in your presence All the noise dies down Lord, speak to me now You have all my attention I will linger and listen I can't miss a thing Lord, I know my heart wants more of you My heart wants something new So I surrender Be 